good morning or good afternoon as the case may be, depending on where you may be, uh, anywhere throughout the American Cotton Belt, as you are tuning in to this, the world-famous Cotton Companion podcast. Uh, we hope that you are having a good one. We hope that you are having a good uh, harvest season out there. This is, uh, we could call this episode the uh, the Cotton Companion spooktacular Halloween. I don't know, I'm trying to come up with some sort of cotton Halloween pun and nothing is coming to me. So uh, it's, been a, it's been that type of week. Uh, we're at the end of the week here, at the end of a month, at the end of a harvest month, the end of October. And uh, regardless, we hope that things are going well for you out there whether you are in the Valley in California or the Mississippi Delta or any point in between or around the Cotton Belt, we welcome you. Uh, I am joined today, as always, by my partner in crime, Cotton Grower Senior Editor, Mr. Jim Stebman. Howdy, Jim. Beck, how are you doing today? Hello, everybody. Yeah, yeah, things are good here in the office. It's been kind of a, uh, a gloomy, or not gloomy, but just kind of uh, gray few days here in Memphis, and we'll get into that here in a little bit, but we hope that uh, you're not getting too much rain uh, out there in the Mid-South as you're just trying to get this crop in. Before we get into all that, though, I want to take a brief moment here and thank our sponsor, the fine folks at Phytogen. Phytogen is pleased to sponsor the Cotton Companion, bringing you the latest news to help you thrive all season long. Okay, uh, yes, we do appreciate our sponsors at Phytogen. I've also been made aware that I was mispronouncing uh, Phytogen's new uh, corporate parent company name as I was saying Corteva last time on the podcast. It's actually Corteva, new name out there. And uh, as per usual, I butcher uh, my first attempt. <laughs> my first attempt to get that right, it's Corteva, uh, which is the new uh, corporate home of brands that you would be familiar with like Phytogen and Enlist, formerly Dow, uh, is now Corteva after the uh, merger of Dow and DuPont. So anyhow, now that I've stumbled all over that. Yeah, it's, it's easy to keep up with all the mergers. What's difficult is, is the pronunciations of some of the new names. There you so, go. You know, but hey, we know, we, now we know. We do know. For we sure. Do. Uh, pronunciation is sometimes easier than the spelling. A lot of these guys... Uh, come up with some very creative uh, spelling of some of these proper nouns. But that's a whole other story. Anyhow, uh, again, we know that a lot of you are in the midst of harvest season. Uh, we hope that you are listening to us. We hope that we're riding along with you in the cab of that picker or stripper, and we hope that you are seeing some big old numbers on those yield monitors. Uh, as I said, here in the Mid-South, it feels like it just won't quit raining. Cold and gray out there. Um, we hope that here soon you all have some nice dry warm conditions as you are uh, bringing that crop in. We have a great episode in store for you today, I promise you. We are going to be, uh, as always, we're going to start by reviewing the ag news headlines of the past couple of weeks. Uh, Jim is going to lead us, lead us in that discussion, as he always does. And then we're going to hear from a great friend of Cotton Grower, someone who you may remember hearing on this podcast before. That is our man in the Southeast, Dr. Don Shirley. Uh, a longtime cotton market analyst. I believe he spent much of his career with University of Georgia Extension. That's correct, right, Jim? Absolutely. And uh, Don has always been great to us, and um, I believe he and Jim talked about a number of things, but I know that y'all touched on 
uh, Michael and its impact as Don's kind of on the ground in the middle of that in southwest Georgia. Is that right? That's absolutely correct. Don is Don's based in Tifton and and was sort of on on the edge of, uh, of a lot of the damage from Hurricane Michael. And we talked and we talked about that in the interview. And we'll, we'll go into let him go into more detail because he's he's the feet on the ground and the and, and the eyes down there and can give you much better much better picture of what uh, what the situation looks like. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and and we appreciate him taking time to talk to us. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna have that interview. After that, uh, we are going to do uh, a sort of a new element in this new uh, version of the Cotton Companion podcast that we're just rolling out this year, and that is uh, our last segment of the day. We're going to call the one big. We're going to call it one big thing where we focus on sort of a, a bigger development that's gone on in our industry. Uh, a hot button topic of the time for this week. We're just going to do a discussion of crop progress, um, which I know is is uh, first and foremost on a lot of y'all's minds out there as you're doing your annual race against uh, time to get this crop in before conditions get too bad. We know, as the Starks tell us, that winter is coming, and I know that y'all are ready to uh, put this thing to bed. So I don't want to put the cart before the horse. Uh, we will dive right in with... Uh, Jim here for our news segment. Okay, thank you, Beck. Uh, news segment, just uh, just a couple of items to talk about or to discuss uh, in this in this episode, uh, simply because harvest is sort of taking priority, as is obviously, unfortunately, in the southeast, still trying to figure out exactly the extent of the damage from Hurricane Michael. Uh, weather is going to be an issue, uh, and, and that's ever-changing. Uh, depending on the location, but two items that came out over the last uh, in, within the last week that I think are, are of importance to to the cotton industry. First one comes from USDA uh, in an October 19th announcement. Uh, Ag Secretary Sonny Perdue proclaimed, "Quote that U.S. cotton is free of the devastating pink bollworm after more than a hundred years." Uh, he said the bollworm sort of recapped that uh, the bollworm has cost U.S. producers tens of millions of dollars in yearly control costs and yield losses, and that thanks to rigorous control of regulatory activities carried out by USDA, state departments of agriculture, the U.S. cotton industry, and growers, the pink bollworm has been eliminated from all cotton-producing areas in the continental U.S. So as a result of that, USDA has lifted the domestic quarantine for pink bollworm, basically removes restrictions on domestic and international movement of U.S. cotton from all areas of the cotton belt. Um, Purdue was very upfront in noting that cotton growers were critical to this success. Uh, basically, when you go back and think about the coordinated multi-state program uh, that, that uh, they've been working under for elimination for eradication of pink bollworm and basically covering about 80% of the program's cost. Uh, that effort, he said, demonstrated the value of partnership, investment, and putting research close to and beside the farmers we serve. Now, just a, as a quick background for those of you in the U.S., in the Cotton Belt, who have never dealt with pink bollworm, uh, USDA says uh, the pest was first detected in Texas in 1917. And by the mid-1950s, it had spread to surrounding states, eventually reaching California in 1963. In 1955, uh, the USDA's Animal and Plant Health Inspection Service, also known as APHIS, 
established domestic pink bollworm regulations. And at the height of the program, there were 10 states, 10 cotton producing states were quarantined for this pest. I rep the, my first exposure to pink bollworm was in Arizona, was down in the, the lower Southwest area. But when you, when you look at the original quarantine on this, we're talking Arizona, Arkansas, California, Louisiana, New Mexico, Oklahoma, Texas, Nevada, Mississippi, and Missouri were all part of the original quarantine. Uh, by 2003, only, I said, Arizona, California, New Mexico, and parts of Texas were under regulation. So uh, kudos to, to the folks who've been working on this program. Uh, it has involved, uh, basically over the past 20 plus years, it's involved the introduction and, and use of transgenic cotton uh, using uh, some researchers using insect pheromones to disrupt mating cycles, uh, releasing sterile insects to help prevent reproduction, and a whole lot of field survey work has been done. So uh, it's it's nice to see, uh, nice to get that report out of USDA and hope that will uh, that'll solve some things and some issues, particularly down in that lower southwest area. Yeah, you know, briefly, I'll say here, we, we talk so much about and we hear so much from smart folks uh, throughout the cotton industry who say, oh, we should be telling cotton story more. We should do a better job of telling our story because we've got such a good story to tell. You know, anytime we're talking about an, an eradication project uh, that has overwhelming success like this, like we are, you know, uh, celebrating right now, I would love for someone out there, be it USDA, or I don't even know if you could even do this, if you could quantify the number of pesticide sprays that have been saved um, in eradicating a pest like this, or eradicate, you know, boll weevil uh, eradication being the primary example of something like that. Right. When you talk about transgenic seed and cotton, and also the eradication efforts of these things, just ungodly amounts of pesticides that did not get sprayed across this country because smart people put their minds to getting rid of these uh, in, these pests. Um, anyhow, it's it is a good it is another story that deserves telling when you're talking about how environmentally sound cotton production is today. You know, but there's it's, it would be so hard to say, oh well, we saved X amount of sprays because there's how do you quantify something that didn't happen? Right. You know, uh, but anyhow. Uh, that's for smarter people than us. Yeah, yeah exactly. So uh, all I can do is applaud everybody who was involved in, in this great program to uh, eradicate this pink bollworm. Well, this, this apparently is becoming the research report version of, of news, just because our second story comes out of Texas A&M, um, because thanks to the Texas A&M AgriLife research and also with, uh, with working, working hand-in-hand with Cotton Incorporated, we now have cotton seed that can serve as a source of protein to millions of people. Uh, it is now one step closer to reality. Because within the last week and a half, A&M received word that their petition, and, and this is the, the fancy, you know, in quotes, you can't, you can't see me doing the air quotes here. On the, <laughs> I on can. The microphone. Uh, received word that their petition for determination of non-regulated status for ultra-low gossipal cotton seed and, and that's, that's an awful, awful long title, has been approved by USDA's uh, APHIS uh, group again. The project was funded by Cotton Incorporated, developed a transgenic cotton plant with ultra-low gossipol levels in the seed that maintains normal plant-protecting gossipol levels 
in the rest of the plant. Now, Dr. Cater Hake at, at Cotton Incorporated, who, who heads up their research programs, uh, basically said gossipol suppression in cottonseed has been part of our funded research portfolio <laughs> for more than 30 years. It took time to tap the, the, the protein potential in the seed, time for the right technologies to develop, and time for the right research team to come along. Now, the story behind this is uh, Dr. Raythor joined Texas A&M in 1995. Uh, and when he joined the program, he had never seen cotton growing in the field prior to, to coming to Texas. He has spent the last 23 years working to create the cotton plants to produce the seeds containing gossipol levels well below what U.S. Food and Drug Administration considers safe levels while maintaining normal levels of the, of the, the implant toxin uh, in the foliage, floral parts, bowl rind, and roots. Um, going on, says gossipol is useful to cotton plants for defense against insects and pathogens, but it is toxic to humans and other animals. So currently, cottonseed containing gossipol, what we're used to seeing in the market right now, is used primarily as ruminant animal feed, either as whole seed or cottonseed meal after oil extraction. So basically, long story short on this, thanks to this new development, more than half a billion people across the world may now have access to a new form of protein, and farmers could potentially be able to earn a little bit better living off of the product. Product can also be important from the standpoint of sustainability because now farmers will be able to produce fiber, feed, and food from the same crop. So next steps in this, now that it's been approved by, by USDA, uh, the next major effort will be demonstrating the value-added potential of the technology. Uh, they're going to have to produce enough of this ultra-low gospel seed for commercial-scale production run at a cottonseed oil mill, and that's likely to take a couple of years. Then agreements must be secured with the patent holders of several technologies that were used to develop this product and then find seed companies willing to market the trait and make it available to cotton growers worldwide. So it's a, it's a very important step forward because it, what it does, it creates, it creates a whole new market for cotton seed that, uh, that currently doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm just thinking back on all of the nice cotton seed uh, oil that I used to get from our friends at the cotton board, you know, for those that once a year when I would cook something for someone, uh, I would, I would break out my cotton seed oil. So I look forward to having more of that around because it certainly was uh, delicious. It was good to use. Absolutely. Well, this, this will be, I think as, as the, the research team said, uh, you'll now be able to take this, this ultra low gossipol seed and grind it into meal, which can be used, uh, you know, for, for nutrition aspects. And it's going to be particularly important, I think, over in some developing countries. Uh, said it can be toasted uh, and used and, and just eaten as a, like, like a, a peanut. Yeah. Something. So, so there's plenty of opportunities and plenty of, uh, uh, of, of work yet to do. But, uh, but again, it's another important development for this market uh, because it gives us another possibility for, uh, you know, for, have a product to, to move into areas where we currently don't have a product. Yeah, yeah, it's exciting. And then our, our last item again, and we're going to go back and recap uh, just because it's a, it's a very important subject at this point. So sort of a quick reminder that December 7th, even though we're sitting here right toward the end of October, December 7th is a deadline for landowner, landowners and producers on farms with generic base acres 
to make the decisions they need to make as part of that seed cotton ARC PLC implementation for the 2018 crop year. Uh, we know that there are a number of universities and associations that are setting up workshops right now. Some have already been uh, some have already been conducted. Others are are scheduled for the next next several weeks in other markets. Uh, and it's important to, to to make sure that that all growers and and landowners meet that deadline. Now, as Beck said, you know later in this podcast we're going to have an interview with Dr. Don Shirley. Uh, where we'll discuss, he and I will discuss in more detail some of the options that are available to growers, and really and truly with considering some of the current situations in the market, why one program may have advantages over the other in the short run. Yeah, yeah, very good. And and again, I know that uh, that kind of dovetails nicely with the interview that you had with Dr. Don Shirley, which we are going to present here shortly. Before we get there, though, I, uh, I'd like to take a minute to hear from our sponsors from Phytogen. We had um, our, uh, uh, we want to bring you this message from Phytogen. Our custom content editor, Robin Sickberg, had the chance recently to sit down with a Phytogen cotton development specialist. I believe it's our buddy, Dr. Ken Leger, who she spoke with, and we are happy to hear from them right now. Welcome to the Cotton Companion. I'm Robin Sitberg, a custom content editor with Meister Media Worldwide, publisher of Cotton Grower Magazine. My guest on this program today is Ken Leger, Cotton Development Specialist with Phytogen. Ken, the last time we visited, we talked about some great varieties for West Texas. I know all of those varieties have the W3FE trait package. What does the W3FE stand for and how does this benefit growers? W3FE stands for Y-Strike 3 Flex and List. The Y-Strike 3 por portion is our 3-gene BT protein uh, insect protection. The Y-Strike 3 essentially boosts protection against cotton bollworm and provides the grower with uh, an additional tool uh, for insect resistance management. Then this recontrol system is a new technology that allows the grower to apply over-the-top 2,4-D choline in the brand names in List 1, which is a standalone product, or Enlist Duo, which is a premix of 2,4-D choline and glyphosate. Uh, these tools, along with some tape mix partners like glufosinate in the case of Enlist One, uh, and, and lots of other herbicides on EnlistTankMix.com, allows the grower a lot of flexibility and a lot of strategies to fight some tough to control weeds. What was the experience of growers in your area with the Enlist weed control system? Overall, the, the, the control of weeds was excellent. You know, when, when growers choose the Enlist weed control system, they're trying to control weeds. That, that's the whole essence of the system. And by and large, we had great feedback from growers saying that uh, uh, the, the weed control from the Enlist weed control system really exceeded their expectations. They found it real easy to use. Uh, they found it uh, real easy to clean out a tank. Uh, and but I want to emphasize the importance of uh, following the label. It's always important uh, to follow the, the the label. But in these new technologies, it is essential that every aspect of the label is followed, and all the application recommendations follow to a T uh, for successful uh, enlist weed control system uh, implementation. Okay, uh, what do you suggest growers do to wrap up the harvest and begin planning for next year? Well, certainly uh, this time of year is a great time of year to look at your, your gen recaps, 
Uh, look at the at the yields of the different varieties that you grew. Look at the quality and try to tie back uh, some some cultural practices or at least uh, uh, some uh, environmental conditions that may be affected both yield and quality. This is also a great time of year to do the soil sampling for nematodes. Uh, during the fall of the year is a great time to do that. And of course, with our phytogen breeding traits, we have root knot nematode resistance in many of our new W3FE varieties that uh, reduces populations up to 90%. But certainly as you look and, and maybe you've experienced some bacterial blight, or maybe you've had some verticillium wilt or other pests, uh, look at those fields and determine what your major problems are and then choose a variety with uh, genetic resistance or tolerances uh, to those particular pests. Uh, I'll point out that all of our W3FE varieties are bacterial blight resistance, and a lot of them have root knot nematode resistance, verticillium wilt tolerance, or sometimes both. Okay. Um, lastly, where do you suggest growers go to get more information on phytogen? Well, probably the best place they can go is call their, their local territory manager, uh, but you can also call your local cot development specialist, or you can simply go to phytogen.com uh, for a lot of information. Hey, thanks, Ken. Very good. All right. Thank you, Robin and uh, Phytogen, Dr. Ken Leger, for that. We are uh, going to keep this thing rolling along here, and I want to set up our interview that Jim conducted, I believe it was just yesterday, with our with our guy, Dr. Don Shirley. Uh, again, we're going to try to make this feature, uh, or rather, uh, uh, a feature of every episode where we are discussing with some of these smart folks, these cotton analysts, market analysts, uh, in the segment that we will call our Market Minute. Although, as I understand it, this uh, interview is actually pushing around 15 minutes, so slightly more than a minute. But uh, I don't weird. think you could ever get an economist to say anything in a minute. In a minute, yeah, yeah, absolutely not. Uh, it, well, it's just too complex and it's interesting, and we wouldn't want to do that. So yes. we're happy to we're happy that Dr. Shirley talked to us. For about 15 minutes here, uh, I believe this interview is filled to the brim with good stuff. So uh, we send you now to this insightful interview that Jim conducted with Dr. Well, welcome back to the Cotton Companion. Uh, we're joined now by Dr. Don Shirley, who's a Professor Emeritus of Cotton Economics at the University of Georgia in Tifton. Uh, Don, thanks for joining us uh, again on the Cotton Companion. You've joined us before. We're happy to have you back. Thank you, Jim. It's a great honor. Thank you for having me. All right. Uh, I think everybody over the last several weeks have seen the uh, seen the pictures and read the news reports of the uh, uh, level of damage uh, and devastation that uh, that Hurricane Michael brought, not only to the Florida Panhandle, but certainly up into that nice sweet spot of cotton production and peanut production and and everything else in in South Georgia. Uh, and you sitting there in Tifton were at essentially ground zero for for a lot of this. Uh, can you give us a quick overview of, of that situation and kind of where things stand after a couple weeks? Yeah. Well, the uh, hurricane, the uh, effects of the hurricane came up through uh, first of all the the southwest corner of the state. Um, for your listeners, that would be the area around uh, Bainbridge and Donaldsonville, Blakely, Camilla, that area down in that area. Um, that got the brunt. The, the, the 
strongest uh, effects from the uh, hurricane. Um, and unfortunately, Jim, that is our certainly one of our most productive areas. The production down there is largely irrigated. Um, those are large farms, um, and that that would be the one of the more productive, if not the most productive, at least in terms of yields um, from our cotton in the state. Um, once the storm came across the southwest corner, it kind of continued to go north and kind of stay on the western side of Tifton um, up through Macon. Tifton, and if you look at Interstate 75, uh, I think Interstate 75 was pretty much the eastern boundary of most of the damage, not to say that other farms didn't have it, but it, uh, the, the storm kind of moved west of Tifton and then turned and went across the middle part of the state. Of course, by that time, it had weakened some and the winds were not as strong, but it continued kind of in a northeastern pattern and then went across the... Um, uh, northeast uh, side of our cotton production, which would be south of the Augusta area, uh, that area around uh, Waynesboro and uh, that area down in there, and then continued on across the Carolinas. So um, most of the damage, Jim, that I have seen, and this is based on reports from farmers and pictures that they have sent us, as well as me doing my own traveling around different areas, um, some of the cotton in that far southwest corner that I talked about that had the heaviest brunt of this, uh, that cotton's completely gone. Um, we had some fields down there that were completely stripped. They're a 90% loss. Um, most of the state, based on what I have seen, the losses are somewhere in the 30 to 50% category. Now, obviously, some much more than that, as I mentioned, and and some a little bit less than that. Uh, some farmers were lucky in the sense that they had feared for the worst, and, and the storm, like I said, passed uh, west of a lot of our area, and so the uh, damage was, luckily, was less than most people feared. But I tell you the real sad part about this, and I had questioned NASA's numbers all along for Georgia in terms of our state average yield. A lot of our farmers were looking at a, at a record crop. And uh, we're, we're, you know, 15 to 1,800 pounds on irrigated and two bales or two bales plus 1,000 to 1,200 pounds on non-irrigated. And, um, you know, it just, you know, overnight in just a matter of hours wiped it completely out. So. Uh, that's that's kind of an assessment. Again, some farmers lost a lot, almost everything in terms of their cotton crop. Others fared better, but like I said, on average, I think around thirty to fifty percent loss for uh, for most producers. Some some more than that, some less. Sure. And as and as we realize, particularly in in your area, uh, cotton growers are oft, often involved with other crops like peanuts and pecans. And I understand there was quite a bit of damage, particularly on the pecan industry. Yes, uh, the uh, pecan industry is just uh, this. You know, cotton's bad enough. Uh, the cotton losses are tremendous, but um, 
if a farmer can survive that financially, and that's a big if right now, uh, if a farmer, if a co- if cotton production can survive that financially, you, you can come back and plant cotton next year. But pecans, uh, you've lost generations of production and uh, effort and work, and uh, the, you know some of these trees that have been destroyed, um, you know, twenty, thirty, forty years old. And uh, you just don't replace that. So it's going to impact our pecan industry for years and years to come. Well, you know, it, it, it's, it's heartbreaking. Anytime a storm like this or a situation like this comes across anywhere, uh, you know, you're obviously as deeply involved in the cotton industry as, as we are. We all hurt. You know, it just makes our hearts hurt on that. But uh, I, I appreciate that report on that. Let's let's shift gears just a little bit because I noticed you on Facebook um, last week, late last week, you had uh, you had posted uh, something about the seed cotton program, and and we know the decision deadline on on for growers to decide whether they're going to do the PLC or the ARC program on this is coming up on December seventh. Right. Uh, I think. Everything that we have seen initially about the program is that the PLC might be the way to go. But you're kind of hinting here that maybe after some of the uh, the situations here of the last couple of weeks, particularly maybe in, in your area, the ARC may be the better option. Can, can you kind of explain that and, and tell me why, why you're thinking that way? Yes, yes, and I, and I do appreciate you asking that. I, to, to, be, to be bluntly honest with you, it was just something that just all of a sudden popped in my in my brain, and and I you know I thought that you know this is going to have an impact, and here's here's kind of the bottom and you know this is sort of the bottom line from from day one when it was announced that we were going to have a seed cotton program and that seed cotton would be eligible as a covered commodity for ARC and PLC. Initially, I never saw anything. ARC was not even mentioned in the in the playbook. Everybody sort of was assuming that PLC was the way to go. And, and most people that I've talked with and the people that have crunched some numbers looking at ARC versus PLC, the sentiment within the industry still seems to be that PLC is the way to go. And I don't argue that. Okay, I think I think that's probably correct. But what we have to remember is this this December seventh deadline applies to just the two thousand eighteen crop year. And both the House and Senate versions of a new farm bill, if and when we ever get one passed, um calls for the for producers to be able to make another ARC or PLC decision effective with the 2019 crop year that'll carry through the remainder of a of a new farm bill. So our understanding is that this December 7th deadline is for the 2018 crop only and then you'll come back and make another decision effective with the new farm bill. So when this hurricane moves through and caused so much in the way of losses, you know, my thought was, well, under an ARC program, you're going to be comparing actual seed cotton county revenue 
for 2018 to a benchmark revenue that'll be based on the previous five years, 13 through 17. Well, my gosh, our, our yields have been hurt so bad. My thought was, particularly in these heaviest hit counties, that our seed cotton revenue that would be calculated for an ARC for 2018 is going to be significantly less than our average over the previous five years, 13 through 17. And so that ARC might actually kick in and might actually be better just for the 2018 situation that you could elect ARC and then come back in a new farm bill and make your other um, election effective for the new farm bill. So, you know, I'm not saying it's for everybody, and, I, you know, I'm not encouraging that. I'm just saying in these counties that have been hit so hard, and if, if we have time, we can talk about the numbers I've crunched so far. Mm-hmm. Um, if, you know, based on these counties that were hit so hard, um, maybe ARC could be the way to go for 18 versus PLC. Um, I tell you, one of the, one of the risks in this though, and I've talked with National Cotton Council leadership about this, um, you know, if if you're going to elect ARC for 18, we are certainly thinking and hoping that you that we will have another election opportunity effective with next crop year. Um, even if the current farm bill gets extended for another year, and uh, you know, every day that goes on, that seems more and more likely. Um, you know, even under an, an extension of the current farm bill, our cotton industry leadership is telling me that they would certainly push for and hope that the farmer would, would still be able to make that other election effective for the 19 crop. Okay, that's, you know, that I think would be a, obviously a, you know, a, a true benefit to the industry uh, at this point. And, may, and maybe for once, a delay in a farm bill might actually turn out to be a good thing. Well, I, yeah, and, um, you know, I, but I tell you, based on the numbers that I have crunched so far, and I was, I was a, frankly, I was a little surprised by this. Um, you know, you got to remember, first of all, that, like I said in our opening, a lot of our producers were, were looking at a record crop, uh, much, much above, above what they would get on average over the years. And so even if a crop had, say, a 30 to 50% loss, which, which I said was probably the average out there, um, if, you know, in some cases, all you're doing is getting down to something closer to average. You understand? Mm-hmm. So, yes, the losses were devastating, but looking at it from an ARC standpoint, all you did was knock the record out and, and get your actual yield down less than average for sure, but um, but maybe not enough to make ARC work kind of on, on average because you got to remember ARC has what, what I call a, a 14% deductible in it. 
you know, we're going to go back and look at the previous five years, Olympic average revenue for the previous five years, and then we're going to knock 14% off of that. So your ARC guarantee is 86% of your five-year Olympic average. So, so you got a 14% deductible right there. Mm-hmm. And then when you consider the fact that we had record yields, um, even if you have a 30 to 50% loss, um, you know, that, that hurts tremendously. But in making the comparison, um, in some cases, that's going to be pretty close to, to, making ARC work or not work because the numbers are going to be pretty close. But, uh, you know, in these counties where we, you know, where we had a tremendous loss, you know, the heaviest counties, then I I think, I think ARC is probably going, going to be the way to go. But I've, I've not, you know, I've not finished the numbers yet. Um, but I just wanted to let people know that, and, you know, uh, that this is something that we're looking at. It's something that, you know, might need to be worth, uh, you know, considering. And uh, as soon as I can work up and finish crunching numbers on my representative counties here, then uh, I'm going to get that out there. So hopefully people will be looking for that. Hopefully that will be, you know, beneficial to them. Good. Now, I've noticed uh, that, a, that a number of state extension uh, groups and other cotton organizations have either scheduled or have been conducting workshops for growers uh, to help them in this decision-making process before the December deadline. Have, do you have anything that you've already done in Georgia, or, or are you planning to do put something together here over the course of the next month? Georgia, Georgia had meetings back in September. Mm-hmm. Actually, we did, um, Jim. I want to say five or six meetings. Uh, uh, around the state that were um, co-presented and co-organized by, uh, you know, University of Georgia Extension and our FSA offices. Mm-hmm. And uh, we did those back in September, and those were, you know, informational-type uh, meetings uh, about the seed cot program and, uh, and about the decisions that had to be made. Um, just this week, we had uh, we had a meeting here in Tifton where, Various uh, state and federal agencies uh, met and uh, had a conference here bringing growers in to talk about the disaster assistance and programs that each of these agencies uh, have or will be offering, hopefully, to to help farmers out. But we had that meeting just this week. Great. All right. Well, Don, we are running uh, running out of time here. I uh, don't want to take any more of your time because I know you're you're a busy person at this uh, at this point. But we certainly appreciate you joining us for uh, for this episode and and explaining some of the thought processes that growers should be considering uh, as we move closer to that December seventh deadline. Jim, again, thank you for the opportunity. It's uh, always an honor to do it. Thank you, Don. I appreciate it very much. Yes, sir. We'll right be right back with the Cotton Companion right after this. Okay, so once again, we want to thank Dr. Shirley for all he does for us and uh, for always being an advocate for Georgia, for the Southeast, and for American cotton farmers in general. Uh, Now, we want to keep things rolling. We want to move along to our one big thing. Uh, This week's, or rather this episode's one big thing 
uh, we want to talk about is crop progress. We know that that's uh, what you guys are doing out there, the pragmatic business of getting this crop in. So, Jim, can you tell us where we're at in terms of getting this crop into the gin across the country? Sure can. And as, and as we all know, USDA issues their crop progress report on, on Monday afternoons, and it's all based on the week ending on the, the, on the Sunday uh, preceding that Monday. So this will be from the, the crop progress report for the week ending October 21st. And when you compare it to some of the reports for the last couple of weeks, simply because of delays in harvest and, and other activities, the numbers really haven't changed that much. Uh, for, this for this report, uh, open bowls now reported in 88% of the U.S. crop, uh, which is uh, pretty, pretty, pretty much on target for this, uh, this point in the year. 39% of total acres had been harvested. Uh, that was up 7% in the past week and is still running ahead of the five-year average. Uh, the real story, I think, comes from the crop condition report for this week, and I think this is what a lot of growers are, and, and a lot of people in the industry are, are watching at this point. We really kind of had a three-way split, and it was it's very interesting how the math worked out on it. Uh, cotton, it was rated good to excellent. Basically, it was 34% of the crop was rated, uh, you know, in the, in the top tiers. 33% of the crop was rated fair, and 33% of the crop was rated poor to very poor. Uh, and maybe some of the, uh, the encouraging numbers on this is uh, when, you, when you look at where the, the problems have been or where the hurricanes have come in and other weather issues, uh, as of October 21st, Georgia was rated 49% poor to very poor, which actually was an improvement of about 5% from the week before. So again, it's sort of a, it's based on actually getting out and seeing the level of the damage and seeing what's still salvageable. Uh, I will, we'll watch those numbers again as, as they come in over the next couple of weeks, uh, just to see if, if they remain steady, if they rise. Uh, but basically we're looking at, you know, the crop, you can, you can break it in thirds in terms of, you know, how it's rated. Is it it's good to excellent, fair, or poor to very poor? And it's the first time I can recall seeing that kind of breakout on these, these reports, as long as I've been looking at them. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's certainly good news that, uh, you know, some of the initial uh, damage estimates coming out of uh, the southeast, particularly southwest Georgia, are that's getting a little upgraded now as people are getting a better look and able to survey. So we, we hope that that trend continues. Well, all right, that will just about do it for this installment of the Cotton Companion podcast. We want to thank Dr. Shirley once again for his time. Uh, he is certainly somebody who cares about his farmers, and uh, we appreciate all of his efforts. Once again, we want to thank Phytogen, our sponsor, uh, for, the, for sponsoring this episode. And we thank you, dear listener, uh, sincerely for joining us, as always. If you like what you're hearing, by all means, tell your farmer buddies about this podcast. Uh, you can tell them that they can get to us in one of three easy ways. The first being go to cottongrower.com. And adding a forward slash companion there in the URL such that it reads cottongrower.com forward slash companion. Uh, that will take you to a landing page that houses all 33 previous episodes and this one. So there's four, 34 total uh, where you can listen to any number of topics that we've discussed. Anything under the sun in the cotton world. Uh, the second easy way to make sure you're catching every episode of the Cotton Companion Podcast is to subscribe to our channel on iTunes. If you're familiar with iTunes, you got an Apple smartphone, 
just go ahead, go into your podcast app and type in Cotton Companion there in the search bar. Subscribe to our channel. Leave us a rating. Let us know what you think of our pod. We love getting feedback from you guys who are out there in the field. The third and final and maybe best way to be sure you're receiving each installment of the Cotton Companion podcast is to sign up for our weekly e-newsletter. Jim here works hard to pack that thing uh, slap full with all the relevant news of the day each week, and uh, it hits your email inboxes like clockwork every Tuesday mornings. Occasionally, you might see it on Thursdays as well. Uh, you can sign up for the uh, Cotton Cotton Grower e-newsletter by going to cottongrower.com forward slash subscribe, and there's very intuitive uh, sort of pathway to lead you to subscribing to the e-newsletter. Also, make sure you're following us on social media. We are at Cotton Grower Mag on Twitter, and on Facebook, you can find us by simply searching for Cotton Grower Magazine. We hope that you are enjoying our latest issue, which is still, to this point, the October product guide. A lot of good partners uh, of Cotton Grower Magazine uh, in that book, as well as folks who have very uh, uh, useful and, uh, and good products. for It's the October product guide. You'll find good products in it. Uh, so give that thing a look. The November issue is due in your mailboxes here in a couple of weeks, so be on the lookout for that. Once again, we'd like to thank our sponsor, uh, Phytogen. This podcast is produced by Mr. Tyler Hatch, who works at the Mothership Meister Media Worldwide in beautiful Willoughby, Ohio. My name is Beck Barnes, and I will be back with you in two weeks for the next episode of The Cotton Companion. For now, on behalf of my own Cotton Companion, Mr. Jim Stebman, we wish you and your operation all the best. Phytogen thanks you for listening to this edition of The Cotton Companion. To learn how you can thrive with Phytogen, go to phytogen.com. <laughs>